This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Free FM 89.0. Now we present Big Things Ahead, a Free FM series in which Paul Barlow tackles the big things facing Kirikiriroa Hamilton. The Three Waters reforms, representation, growth, infrastructure, iwi and youth participation in decision making, and climate change. For more episodes of Big Things Ahead, visit freefm.org.nz, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and search for Big Things Ahead. Welcome to this episode of Big Things Ahead. I'm Paul Barlow and I'll be looking at different issues that are going to shape the future of Kirikiriroa Hamilton going forward. Each episode we look at something different and we try and give you a balanced presentation of the facts so you can make your own mind up about how these issues are going to affect you and how you should feel about them. This time around we've got a really complicated one for you. It's the representation review of Hamilton City Council. So let's start off with the basics. By law, every six years, every council has to do a review on how they best represent the public that they are supposed to have been voted in by. This is not something that the council has any control over, so it's not a big money-wasting exercise to try and justify their jobs like some have said. It's a much more complicated process to work out whether or not the way that people are voted in and the people that are representing the public are the best possible outcome for the city itself. So this is where it gets really incredibly complicated because we've got a really simplified system at the moment. Essentially, it's two wards, one either side of the river and as well as a mayor that you vote for and what they call enlarge, so a big ward that covers the whole city. This is designed to have far greater representation for larger communities, but at the same time it makes sure that your mayor is voted in by the city as a whole. Under this representation review though, there's a couple of different factors that come into play that can complicate measures a little bit. The first thing the council has to look at is whether or not the current ward system is actually working for the goals that it was set out for, which is basically offer better representation for different communities within the region. At the same time, the next election sees the introduction of both STV voting as well as the introduction of two Māori seats around the council table. STV we're going to focus on entirely in another episode because it is such a big issue and it gets people so worked up. But we'll sit down and have a chat to expert Mark Servian about that in a different episode. The Māori seats are the ones that are going to be slightly more complicated. The council's already agreed to make sure that we have Māori seats at the next election, but that raises questions around where those seats are going to fit in. Does the council need to expand so that it can have more seats around the table, or do they readjust the number of seats that they've got in non-Māori seats to make sure that they've got a fairer representation with the model that they currently use? Are those Māori seats going to be elected one on either side of the river, or is it going to be elected in the city as a whole? If the city is running ward systems and these two seats are running the city as a whole, how is that fair economically and what sort of advantages and disadvantages does that give those candidates? At the same time, these two seats are going to be voted on entirely by people who are on the Māori electoral roll, but it doesn't negate the fact that it, you don't have to be on that roll to run in those seats. So there are the possibilities of people trying to play the system a little bit. So it gets really complicated when you introduce those particular factors into it. 
Public opinion on which system is going to work the best is actually pretty evenly split. Recently, Hamilton City Council underwent a process where they got people to send in their particular feedback around this. They got almost 500 responses to it. And you can see them all now on yourcityelections.co.nz, but you'll see a really even mix between different sorts of options. So let's have a look at what options there actually are. The first is an at-large option. One ward, Hamilton City. Everybody votes for councillors to fill that up. It doesn't matter which part of the city that you're in or representing. In theory, enough support from one community should be enough to get people over the line, but that's not necessarily the case. However, this is a really popular way of making sure that the people that get voted in represent the city as a whole. Former Hamilton West MP Tim McIndoe is a big supporter of the at-large electoral system for Hamilton. And here's his reasoning why. Yeah, my perspective was that I'm in favour of a citywide election on the grounds that we have one council for one city and we all have an interest in who represents us. I don't really see the logic in only being able to elect people on one side of the river. It seems to me that the river's a fairly arbitrary divide from that point of view. One of the other arguments in favour of an at-large single city ward is around the changes to the way that election campaigning actually works these days. 30 years ago, when it was last reviewed and refreshed, the things were very different in how you went out and you advertised yourself and you market yourself. There was a much bigger reliance on things like print media and signs and billboards. But as Councillor Mark Bunting points out, that's changed a lot in the last few years. You know, there's that old argument of, oh, you know, um, it's too expensive to run a campaign over the whole town. For goodness sakes, we're the third smallest geographical council in the country. Um, with the highest population base. It's not about fence signs anymore. It's about your profile, your standing in the community, etc. You don't have to travel far. I can get to Glenview pretty darn quickly, actually, from my humble place over in Chartwell. So it's, you know, it, it's not an issue anymore. It's all um, social media. It's all digital. And then there are the people who argue, oh, crikey, well, it's okay. You've, you've got a radio profile. You know, it's all right for you, isn't it? And I say, well, cry me a river. I spent 20 years trying to build a standing in this community. So where's your work, <laughs> you know? Not everybody agrees with this particular perspective on just how easy it is to go out there and run without having a social profile of some kind or a public profile of some kind. Here's Holly Snape, who ran for council a couple of terms ago, explaining how much of a, a bit of an uphill battle she found it to be just working within the single ward system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I ran, I ran with a budget of $5,000. I would need to double that in order to be able to run um, in a, a citywide campaign, at the very least, particularly if someone um, with no name recognition. And for most of us running first time, we run with no name recognition. Um, $5,000 was a massive barrier to me as well. And, and I was really well supported by friends and, and others who, who donated to my campaign, which was absolutely fantastic. I could not have run without that support. But I certainly am concerned about what opportunities there are for people to run um, should we go to a, a single ward system. The case for a single at-large ward system essentially boils down to the fact that you want people sitting around the council chamber who represent the city as a whole. And the argument for smaller wards is that you want individual parts of the city to be represented better around the decision making that affects the whole city. Now speaking to Holly again, she gave me a bit of a rundown on why she's more of a fan of the, the smaller ward system. Having worked within the community and working as part of Community Waikato, which reaches a whole bunch of different parts of society, 
her perspective on this is one that, that I personally find really fascinating. And it showcases why it's really important to have certain voices around the table when it comes to decision making for the entire city. Okay, so I'm old enough to remember when we had five wards, you know, back in the day. Um, and then, of course, we've, we've um, reduced the number. We're sitting now currently at two wards, and there's been a conversation about whether or not it should be a single ward. Um, I think from my perspective, uh, I, I prefer wards and I prefer multiple wards because I think um, it is uh, cheaper for people to run under multiple wards. So in terms of um, enabling accessibility, to being a part of that process and potentially being able to represent your community. I think that that's really valuable. You know, I've got this map, which is fascinating, that shows the spread about where our current um, councillors, elected councillors, live around the city. And I can tell you right now, Melville Vader, Fitzroy, you know, the area I'm in, not at all represented by, by anybody from this particular area. Um, same with our uh, Norton, Crawshaw area, no one there as well. You know, there are certainly pockets of our community that never really are represented by someone who lives there that's that embedded in that community. And I think that that is the value that a ward system can give. Um, you know, under a two-ward system, again, a little limited, and we see that in terms of where people are living around the community. Um, you know, four or five wards, I think you do get better representation. Um, a single ward, I think, very, very costly to run. Um, and I worry, too, about about what might happen in terms of representation, about where people are coming from, um, and seeing that even further reduced. Means that you don't get the advantage of a ward system because they're too large, and you don't get the advantage of an at-large system because there's two wards. So it's a dumb, like, the only thing I know about the, 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 that review is that the status quo is the worst option. This idea of smaller wards that are going to help represent communities better has some support around the council table at the moment. I spoke to Councillor Dave McPherson about this to see what his perspective is. As somebody who has worked under both the five-ward system and the current two-ward system, he's also got a very interesting perspective on which he feels is better. But also, having been somebody who was brought in under that five-ward system initially and worked his way in the community, he's got a great outlook on how having that particular locality role helps you look at focusing on the whole city? I th the principle is I favour more local um, because uh, you get known by your community. Sure, when you get elected, you have to represent the whole city and that, but you become a should become a specialist in your ward, if you possibly can. Know more about the streets, the potholes, the schools, <laughs> whatever like that. Potholes is the big one. <laughs> As you can see, there's arguments that work on both sides of this particular casing behind having one big award or even divesting to small awards so you've got better community representation. Here's the really tricky part about any type of democracy. It is really important to get that representation in there to make sure that, that decisions that are made are made in the best interest of everybody that they can be. Like it, it, it's it's very much the old Spock adage that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. However, there are a couple of other curveballs that I mentioned earlier on in the episode that change this up again. Right? STV is a big one. And as I said, we've got another episode on STV that you can download at the moment. 
But just a quick summary is that your voting system changes. And when your voting system changes as exponentially as first past the post to STV, where you rank candidates instead of just ticking them and whoever gets the biggest number of votes wins, we can see a large demographic shift in who votes and who gets elected. At the same time, there's two Māori wards that have been introduced, or two Māori seats that have been introduced for the city. Whether or not that's going to be one per ward or one for the whole city is yet to be seen. And the other question around having those two new seats is do you reduce the number of non-Māori seats on the council to keep it static at 12 councillors all up? Do you add two more seats so that you've got 14 councillors all up? These are the kind of questions that are still working through at the moment. Um, this also brings into question a whole bunch of stuff around uh, Mangai Māori, which is a process at the moment the council has, where they have experts in particular fields who are also experts in Māori perspective, giving them advice on how to do policy creation and what to vote on at a committee level, which is a fantastic exercise to make sure that you've got that representation coming through. So we're going to do a whole episode on this as well, just because it is, again, a complicated issue that deserves to have that sort of focus put onto it. That doesn't change the fact, though, that the current council making the decisions about how the new council or future council is going to look don't necessarily fit within those groups that they're trying to make sure have better representation. Now, I'm not saying that the group of people that are there aren't there for the right reasons. I'm yet to meet anybody who stands up for political office who doesn't go out of their way specifically to do this to help their communities. But it doesn't change the fact that majority of this council is very, very white. So having that very specific Māori perspective around the council table itself is not necessarily something that's there at the moment which is why they have the whole public process of people making submissions. At the same time, there are other communities that have never been represented around the council table. There are some communities that have had really limited representation around the table. Councillor Philip Young, for example, was the first Asian councillor elected. Uh, Naidu Ralph, who's on council now, is the second. We've had two councillors in the last 30 years who have had children while they've been in council. And that was just in the past term. We've never had an open LGBT councillor on there. We've never had anybody come in from various number of ethnic communities. There is a lot that could be put around that table. And this is where it gets really kind of tricky because you don't have the ability to be able to make sure every single community group has a say when it comes to making decisions. However, you have to make sure that the people that are considering what happens next take all of these particular options on board. And it's one of the reasons why it's actually been really hard to get commentators or people that I've spoken to to be able to lock down what they think is going to be the best option going forward, particularly when it comes to the two Māori seats that are going up there. Well, if it's if it's just Maori voters choosing their representatives, then I wouldn't really want to tell them which option would be better for them. Uh, I think as much consistency as possible is desirable. Uh, but if those who uh, choose to be on the Maori role, because they obviously have the option to be on that or to come onto the general role, have a strong view that it should be um, one representative for the east and one for the west, then I can live with that. Uh, I don't think that that will really affect the majority of electors who are on the general role. Yeah, my thoughts on that process is that that is something that should be determined by Māori, not not by the system and certainly not by Pākehā, because Māori have completely different um, systems of governance as well, and they will have 
very good reasons for how or why a system should be set up the way it is. And, and to be perfectly honest, I just don't think I'm the person to comment on that because I, I don't know enough about it and I'm not invested like enough in, in terms of my own papa to be able to um, have that kind of commentary. Um, but the commentary I will have is that I really hope that council listen to Māori because I think this this is um, it should be by them for them, um, not for council to be determining what it should look like. I mean, Māori politics is a, is a um, it's a it's a very complicated um, and massive massive beast, and um, so I can only speak from what I've seen. That's a question that we're actually wrestling with a bit. And here's the thing, they're not wrong to not want to comment. The simple fact of the matter is, if you've got people who are Pākehā sitting there making decisions about Māori representation, you automatically have a slight backstep in the fact that you're making a decision for somebody else that should not be your decision to make. But at the same time, councils are now in this position where they have to make this kind of decision to ensure that the next step of making sure that representation is there, of making sure that the, going forward you can diversify who sits around that table and who represents their communities, somebody has to basically pull the pin and make sure it happens. Now, the government changed the rules a little bit about how to go about making these changes last year. Beforehand, it had to go to a referendum if you wanted to change up any of your electoral system like this or, or ensure that you had specific placement for Māori candidates and councillors around the table. Now they don't have to do that. It's a decision that the council can make without having to go out to the public. And that's exactly what Hamilton City Council has done. They've sat down, unanimous vote, yes, we need to do this. So it is something that is going to be moving forward no matter what happens. It's just the shape of that hasn't really been locked down. And by not being able to lock down that shape, it's really hard to be able to lock down how the rest of this review goes. Whether or not you have those two extra councillors who are brought on by a different electoral role end up becoming part of the standard 14 or 12 councillors, is that going to change how STV works? Is STV going to be effective when you've only got two seats going for a big, a whole ward? So there's a whole bunch of sort of big moving pieces, essentially, that this council has been tasked with trying to find the way that they fit. And it's not always easy. And it's definitely not always cheap. But it's something that has to be done because democracy needs to keep being redefined especially on a local level where your aim is to try and get more people out there in an election that's essentially people looking down their nose at like only 35 to 40 percent of voters ever seem to take part in local body elections and again that changes who represents you out there the reality is when we look at participation in local government and we look at voting rates uh it's shameful and i think there are lots of different reasons that the numbers are so low, but we need to look at how do we genuinely engage right across community, right across different types of communities of interest, um, moving outside of, of that voter base that you, you mentioned right at the beginning of our conversation, and how do we tap into other people, um, create pathways into politics, create um, an understanding of the relevance of the decisions that are made at that council table for, for people. And for people to feel genuinely like they can influence that process, I think, you know, yeah. Buried in with this mix of 
what ward system is going to work, coupled with representation issues around different ethnicities, as well as changing voting techniques, there's a couple of other options out there that can be used to try and better engage your communities and make sure your communities have better representation with their feelings and perspectives that are coming through. The big one of those is a community board. Now, a community board is not something that Hamilton has ever had. It's never really been something popular there. But Auckland tends to use community boards quite a bit. In fact, Hamilton is one of the only urban areas in the country that don't have them at the moment. Community boards are important. That is, we're one of the few um, councils that doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that they determined we didn't need um, back in the day. And at the sort of relatively recently, the proposal was put forward by um, a council team that there wasn't an appetite for community boards. Uh, we disputed that and put in a submission. Uh, there were others speaking in, um, in support as well of community boards. There seemed to be some appetite around the table. Not sure where we'll get on it, but we'll certainly um, keep the conversation going. Around the country, there's actually 110 active community boards happening right now. They were created in 1989 under a shuffle of the Local Government Act, which allows big central sort of local councils to give out a little bit more authority to regional communities. Now, those community boards have to be made up of a minimum of four people, maximum of 12, and they're there to represent a really specific community area. So Auckland, for example, tends to have community boards that work around where the old city lines were before the super city became a thing. In Hamilton, it's never really been considered necessary because it's a small, compact city. And at the same time, your different areas of the city, while they might be unique and individual in their own ways, share a lot of overlap. So your Hamilton East residents, for example, while Claudelands might be completely different to, say, Rotatuna, there's still a lot of overlap there in the way that those are made up in terms of, of ethnicities, age groups, genders, those kind of really base cultural pairings. So Hamilton City Council has never really seen the need for a community board in that respect. And when you talk to somebody like Mark Servian, who is a longtime campaigner for STV, he drove the campaign for many years, uh, he breaks down why he thinks it's not really necessary to have them either when you look at the big picture of STV coming into play as the next voting system. Because not forgetting, we've got two terms from now on with SCV as the preferential voting system going forward. So here's what Mark had to say about those community boards. Um, and we've got actually another episode with Mark on STV specifically, remember? So you can go and download that now from freefm.org.nz. But equally, if you go with STV, if you've got STV, because you're getting a system that is more responsive to your specific wishes, the need for community boards and wards arguably is less. At its very base as well, there's a big question around how do you go about representing people in general? What is a great balance for the number of people that you have elected and how many people that they're actually out there representing at the moment? And it's not always an easy balance to find. In Auckland's North Shore, for example, with a population of 150,000, there's two councillors for the whole area. Hamilton, with a population of 164,000, represented by 13 elected officials, means that you essentially have one councillor for every 12,600 people. By adding two more councillors to that table, so if that is what ends up happening with the introduction with these two Māori councillors, that's going to mean 15 councillors that represent 11,000 people. And those are 
huge numbers and huge groups to try and get representation that balance of it right for them. And it's really difficult to make sure that you're getting exactly what you need out of it to represent as many communities as possible. As Councillor Mark Bunting puts it, there's a real risk of over-representation suddenly becoming an issue. Um, it's going to get to the point where it's actually almost, you know, ironically over-representation. Um, but um, we were told that's not on the table. We're not discussing it just yet. What I did uh, suggest in my submission is that by increasing the numbers, I actually think it makes it easier for those who are not so energetic to opt out of doing what a number of us might expect them to do. And having said that, I'm, I'm not making that as a blanket criticism of all <laughs> existing or previous councillors because I respect the fact that many of them work very hard. In fact, I used to feel I saw more of many of them when I was an MP than I saw of my own family just because we were all <laughs> in the same events so much. Yeah. Uh, so some of them do work incredibly hard. Others, however, not so uh, visible. There are one or two over the years who it seems to me are very picky about what they choose to turn up at. And if we were to increase the number of councillors, I think it would be even easier for them to avoid doing the things that many of us would like to see them doing. As you can see, this is a really complicated issue. Democracy used to be fairly simple. One person, one tick, boom, you're done. But democracy has evolved to meet the needs of society that it works for. And part of that is about going through and reviewing exactly what you're doing on a local level. Now, don't forget... Local elections tend to have a really low voter turnout, and the voter demographic tends to be older, and they tend to be white. They tend to come from certain suburbs as well. So whether or not a single ward system, or a dual ward system, or five wards, or community boards, whatever the answer is here, it's certainly not going to be an easy one to settle on. So I don't envy the people who have got to take this consideration on board. One of the things that I think is really important is that you keep up to date with what is actually going on. You look into it and you do some research and you keep your eye on the ball here. Yourcityelections.co.nz is a fantastic resource to see what submissions were given to the council in regard to these particular changes. And there's some really well thought out arguments for every contingency that you can think of. There's also some really terrible racist comments to give you an idea of one, just how terrible people can be, but also to see what some of the negative effects are, negative perspectives can be, that do also feed into this decision-making process. Because while racism is absolutely abhorrent, it is something that comes into play. It is something that all councillors are going to have to deal with in particular because of the issues of getting up Māori wards. It's a tricky situation for anybody to find themselves in, and I certainly don't envy them on this one. And I personally don't have a preference for which system is going to work best, even after sitting down and talking to people involved. But it is something that I think you need to go out and do some research on. Now, don't forget, as I said before many times during this episode, this is a really big multifaceted problem or issue. Well, it's not a problem, it's an issue, which is one of the reasons why we've dedicated a couple of episodes to really specific areas in here. There's another episode available on STV and what that means, how that's going to work, and how that could change the way that elections work going forward. There's also another issue looking specifically at Māori representation and how that's going to change within the city, or whether or not it needs to evolve further than it is at the moment. Because there's always that balancing act as well as to how much representation you, you give one particular group to make sure that they are 
given exactly what it is that they need, and still meeting the requirements of the Treaty of Waitangi. Honestly, it's a massive juggling act, and I do not envy anybody that has to go through and make the decisions on this one. But as voters, it's really important that you get out there and you have a look at the information that's there and you come to your own decision on what is going to be the right way to go. Council hasn't locked in what's going to happen with their reviews. So you're more than welcome to get hold of your elected officials to give them your feedback. Right, I think that's enough for this particular episode. Make sure you tune in again for the next one. Thank you very much to the guests who came on and lent their expertise to, to this particular topic. And as I said... Go to freefm.org.nz. You can download the other podcasts from there, as well as anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. Thanks a lot, and I will see you next time. For more episodes of Big Things Ahead, visit freefm.org.nz, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Big Things Ahead is a Free FM podcast. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.